The opinions in the following podcast are expressly my own and do not reflect those of my employer, my administrator, my coworkers, my students, or the parents of my students. Names have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty. And welcome back. I'm glad you could join me for another round of Friday Night Pints. Today is March 16th, 2007. Wow, it's been another week. And uh, it's been kind of an interesting one. We had our our state standardized testing in my building today, or this week. Um, we did the testing on Tuesday. So we dismissed all of the freshmen, sophomores, and seniors. They had the day off. Only the juniors came in, and they took the ACT. That's what Michigan's using as the standardized test to comply with No Child Left Behind. And it works out really well because it's a test the kids were already going to take as part of their college entrance exams. And this time out now the state pays for it, which has the seniors kind of in a bit of a tizzy because they, you know, they paid it for it when they took it, and now the state's paying for these guys to take it themselves. But, so that was Tuesday. And it worked out pretty well, actually. We had all the kids show up, except for a couple. I think we had a total of three kids out of the entire junior class not take the ACT. So we're going to have no problems meeting the state requirement of having a certain percentage of your student population take the test, which is a nice change. In the past, we've really worked hard to make sure that all the kids that were eligible to take the test did take the test and if the kids were absent there was a lot of effort into cornering them setting them down with a pencil and making them do it but and then I guess the other nice thing with this too is we didn't fall in the same boat that Oregon fell into um, I'm not sure how much the news is going around I mentioned it around the office and my principal hadn't even heard of this but the Oregon State tests were all administered online, and they've been doing this for a couple of years now, so it's not completely new. But this year, there was a bit of a glitch in the system, and a lot of the servers were having difficulty staying up and allowing students to completely do the test. Well, this caused more problems because the way it was set up was if a kid didn't finish, they failed, or the scores were lost. And so they had schools starting to report some major, major issues. I think it was up to 20% of the schools had some kind of problem with the testing process. And so what their big concern was what that would affect to the overall um, overall scores for the state. And, of course, you know, with the world we live in now, there's not a lot of room for kids to, you know, just say, well, let's just not count the test this year. Uh, a school can't just say, hey, we're not going to count the standardized test this year. Well, there were bugs, there were problems, we just want to leave it where it is. You know, we'll, we'll make it up to you next year because you know it's not our fault. No Child Left Behind requires that kids do this. And so as of Tuesday, the, um, I want to say, yeah, I believe it's the superintendent of schools for the entire state, their head guy, announced that they would be going to good old-fashioned bubble tests. You know, paper and pencil, fill in the bubble, and we'll scan them by computer. Because enough schools had reported problems that they have known, you know, they have to do it this way. And it's causing some major problems because a lot of kids are mad that they already took the test, and they believe they did pretty good. And they're mad that they did all this work, and there's nothing to show for it. 
So, you know, there's something to be said for doing it the old-fashioned way. I, in fact, my, my father and um, kind of put it out there, and I totally agree with him that with this new voting procedure they have, where a lot of places have gone to a paperless ballot, you go in, you push a few buttons, and you're done, makes you kind of wonder what's going to happen if there is ever a glitch. If we have an election day and it comes out that, oh, there were some computer problems over here in Maryland, and uh, we're not sure what their vote is, what's that going to do to everyone? At least when you vote by paper, you have a physical ballot somewhere that represents a vote. And you can always count physical ballots, even if they do have little things hang on them. But anyway, what this did, though, was it allowed us to have some teacher prep time. We were supposed to be in meetings all day. And all the truth be told, the math department had some problems. We had our department chair was out sick. We had another member who was out sick. We had three or four of us were proctoring exams, so they weren't available. And uh, so what that did was it created a kind of a pocket of about, oh, about half a dozen of us who really weren't sure what we were supposed to do with the day. So we, we did our best. We worked on some stuff in groups. We did some collective planning. We hashed out a few issues for the department, but with only half the department present, couldn't do too much. And uh, we got some good work done. Well, the reason I bring this all up is that I had the chance, I was to poke poke in and observe a few other people working. I was in the uh, one of our workrooms writing some copies, and two of my coworkers in the social studies department were planning a lesson. And I happened to glance over what they were working on, and the lesson was titled "The U.S. Occupation of Iraq." And this caught my eye. Now I'm not I don't plan to spend a lot of time yakking with you about politics because that's not the point of this this podcast, this audio blog. I don't want this to be politics all the time, but, <laughs> there's always a but, right? Um, it just seemed like something was off there. And one of the things, I don't know if, if any of you ever listen to conservative radio, they hate public school teachers. They refer to the American public high school as a temple of liberalism. And, and they really do hate us. I mean, it's it's horrible. It's very hard to listen to. In fact, for a long time, I turned off Sean Hannity, and I uh, called into the, our local radio station and said that I would not listen while he was on the air, simply because he could not rein in his anti-teacher rhetoric. But I looked at what they were working on, and it wasn't a tongue-in-cheek, you know, and analyze what's going on in Iraq and see if maybe the word occupation fits. That was what they, in their classes, were calling the situation we're now in. And I don't even want to go into whether or not I agree that it's an occupation. Because I don't think that's relevant. What I think is relevant is that it's not appropriate, in my opinion, for a high school teacher to impose such a negatively charged word to what's going on. I don't necessarily think we should call it the U.S. liberation of Iraq right now. I don't necessarily think we should call it the U.S. occupation. Occupation is a word that has such connotations. We talk about the the Nazi occupation of France. We talk about the Russian occupation of Eastern Europe. We talk about the Japanese occupation of China. When you say the U.S. occupation of Iraq, we even said the Iraqi occupation of Kuwait. When you say the U.S. occupation of Iraq, you, there's a very specific connotation that kids walk away with. 
and I it makes me uncomfortable in all honesty to th think of of using that kind of language in a way that would guide students at the high school level to, to certain preconceived notions, to certain conclusions before they've really, you know, sat down and thought it through. And it's, it's you know, again, I don't teach social studies, so I'm a little bit isolated from this. Math is an insulated subject in that way, in that we don't have a lot of political charge to what we teach. You know, I get the usual, you know, diversity awareness, make sure that your story problems have kids with names from all over the world so that you're not just focusing in on certain names which make kids uncomfortable or make sure that they're about topics of interest so the story problem isn't all about football. You get some other sports mixed in, maybe sports the kids aren't familiar with so they get some exposure. Good, I love that. It's good stuff. And it's kind of fun, too, you know, when you can throw things out there. Maybe you can take 30 seconds to explain what cricket is. Or, or that kind of a thing. Or maybe take 15 seconds to do a quick little geography lesson because you're doing a, a problem about the Mayans. And a couple of kids need reminding where the Mayans were originally. But back to the, the Iraq issue, that's different. I mean, this is something where kids are coming in and they're developing their own uh, opinions and they're, they're learning how to think about a situation. It seems very inappropriate in my mind to tell kids this is the conclusion you should have drawn especially because it puts such pressure on a kid who maybe came to a different conclusion. Maybe there's a kid who doesn't see it as an occupation. They see it as something good. Well, how is that kid supposed to act in class now? His teacher, someone he's supposed to respect as an authority on the subject, not just an authority disciplinary-wise, disciplinary but on the subject he's teaching, is telling him, this is the conclusion you should have reached. And now the kid's going, well... I don't agree with that assessment, but my worksheet says I should. It just doesn't seem right, and I think that we as teachers often talk about how the, the Republicans are out to get us, the conservatives are out to get us, no one likes us, no one trusts us, everyone, thinks, everyone feels a need to butt in on what we do in the classroom. Well, maybe this is part of the problem. Maybe if we took more steps backwards to ask ourselves, is the language we're using objective enough, we'd be less likely to have people storming and saying, we have to tell you what to teach because we don't trust you to teach it objectively. Now, and that's not to say that conservatives can't go the other way. That they, conservatives can't be a little bit hair-triggered about the way we teach health issues to say, hey, we only want you to teach abstinence because we're concerned you can't do the other stuff objectively. And so we're going to tell you, boom, you can't talk about it at all. I mean, there has to be a middle ground, because we're not dealing, you know, we're dealing with children to a degree, but we're dealing with children that are going to be young adults. They're going to be the future, and I think well, the first thing we need to teach them is how to think, how to judge a situation. And maybe it's because I don't agree that the Iraq situation is an occupation. I have friends that are there. I have family that's there. I have friends that have served multiple tours and come back and say that they would be willing to go again. I think that flavor, and I admit, that flavors my opinion on it. And I admit, too, I'm a social conservative. I always have been. I, I, I believe in family values as much as that buzzword gets thrown around. But that's my political lean. And like I said, this isn't meant to be a show about politics. This is meant to be a show about educational issues. But... I think that when education and politics come together, we need to be careful. We need to remember that not everyone's going to see things our way, and that I think we have a responsibility to our students 
to help them find their opinions, to help them get the information to develop a philosophy about something, to draw the conclusion, and if they choose to label what's going on in Iraq as an occupation, that that's a choice we should encourage them to come to through our objective instruction, through our objective presentation of facts, and to help them find a way to come to a reasonable conclusion from the evidence presented. And maybe I'm overstating the point. So, all right, let's get off politics. You know, it, it's it's great that we have a chance to, to delve into it, but I don't want to spend too much time on it. Um, of course, the other fun thing that came up with our meeting on scheduling was the fact that, when well, we're looking at new schedules. Uh, so this big meet, you know, our time to meet during the testing period, we had time to talk about what we're going to do next year. And we've had a big shift in that we're going from teachers teaching five of six periods next year to teachers teaching six of seven periods. And this has caused no small amount of wailing and gnashing of teeth because a lot of my coworkers really didn't notice we, had, we were doing this until it was too late. We all voted as a union on a letter that not many people read closely. So they missed the, po- the fact that the letter wasn't just saying we might go to a seven-period day. It was giving the administration the right to impose it on us, and they imposed it immediately. So there was a bit of a, ah! And so now we're on the set. We're looking at the seven-period day, and we're trying to find one that works. What it looks like that we're look what looks like we're going to do is go to a modified block within the seven period day. So some days all seven classes will meet, and some days a couple of them will meet for longer periods of time. But what I'm really hoping we can fit in there is the seminar period that I know a lot of schools have found success with. Now, we had it a few years ago, and it was a bomb. I wasn't here when we had it, so I will be over ten years ago then. And students just left the building. Or they just all went and played basketball with the time. Or they didn't do anything at all of consequence. There was no accountability. And the problem is, the district seems very happy to say, here, try to make this work. But they won't release a teacher to organize it. They won't release an administrator to organize it. They won't spend money on organization. They expect teachers on top of their teaching load to also organize this time. So, we'll see how that goes. But what's frustrating about the whole thing is last year we had Rick DeFore come out to talk to us about improving schools. And he had two big components. The first one was the PLC, or Professional Learning Community. I like these. These work and we're doing them. This is where you get a group of teachers together who teach a common subject. They develop common teaching strategies, common assessment to say, hey, how do we know these kids have learned it? And then they go out and they teach it. They assess it, and then they come back together as a group and commonly evaluate their assessments and say, hey, what happened when we taught these topics? What was the result of the way I taught this and the way you taught this? Which of us had better success? Um, And the big question that they're always pushing is, what do we want the kids to know and how do we know that they've learned it? Now, this last part of this, and I think it's the critical part, is what do we do with the kids who don't? Part of that system was to have a reward program where we say, all right, you're not learning your math. You need to go get some intervention help. You, over here, you've done the work. You've done the homework. You've studied. You've given up two nights of TV to be ready for your test. Here's your reward. We're really quick to punish kids. We're really quick to say, hey, 
you have to go sit in this room with a math teacher and you're going to do nothing but work on extra math work. But we're very, very slow to recognize student achievement in a meaningful, tangible way. And we're partially hamstrung by the state. The ideal reward that the four put out was allow early dismissal for seniors with certain grades. If you've got a 3.5 or better overall GPA for your senior year, you get to go home an hour and a half early. That would be an awesome motivator. Not every day, obviously. Just a couple of days a week. But that even one day a week to have early dismissal for seniors with higher grades would be such an incentive for that sophomore and junior class. Because freshmen, you know, they're never going to figure out what's going on. They're still finding their lockers. Um, but to have that incentive for the seniors to say, guys, hey, you're on top of it. You're the leaders. Go. Go forth and enjoy the fruits of your labor. And you bozos over here who still don't do your homework and still think coming to class is optional. You don't get that privilege. You're going to make something else work. We're going to sit you down and we're going to pound you with this until it clicks. Because you can't learn it if you don't do it. Can't do that. The state of Michigan is not apparently... I, I mean, I'm not an administrator. I'm going off what they tell me. The state of Michigan won't count that kind of release as part of our school day. Which is such a tragedy. Because it's such a powerful tool to be able to get these kids something to reward them for their efforts besides a grade or besides some award ceremony for all the top achievers. But it looks like that component's never going to fit in. They are talking about fitting the PLC time in, which is nice, because what we'll be doing there is possibly starting the day earlier by about five minutes and then ending the day one week, one day a week early. So every day we start at 7.30 instead of 7.35. And then on Wednesdays, we dismiss the kids at 1.10 instead of 2.10. And what that would do then is teachers would have that extra hour from 1.10 to 2.10 built into their day to get together with their PLC and plan to go over the tests, to go over the results, to plan the next lesson, to write the next test. And what's nice if we were to adopt this program is it would eliminate all of our continuing education within the district's contract. And we have to do continuing education in Michigan, like most states, um, on our own. But our district contract has an additional, and I think the state of Michigan even, has additional hours that we have to put in uh, as part of our employment. And this would eliminate all of that, because it would fit all of that additional continuing education as considered part of these P this PLC work time. And so I'm real excited about that possibility. And there was something that sounds very fun about doing that if we can get the schedule passed. Um, I still hold out for the old eight-period day my high school had. So, I mean, we'll kind of see where we end up with that. I, mean, I liked it, but I don't know if we could do it in this modern environment. I mean, it's been a while since I've been out of high school. They've changed a lot of the rules since then. So, oh, what's that? Are you all set here? Uh, actually, can I just get a cup of coffee? Take cream? Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, I want to talk about journalism for a bit. This podcasting thing is, is kind of new and it's a bit of a twist. And uh, I mentioned last week with you that I, I have another podcast for an online game I play called World of Warcraft. And uh, lately, they someone posted a top ten World of Warcraft podcasts. 
And one of the sh- one of the podcasts that's out there called Wow Radio did not make the top ten, and there was a scathing review of the blog entry stating these top ten because the top ten list is going around, everyone's quoting it, and a scathing review from the guy who runs Wow Radio saying, "Well, you know, any idiot with a microphone is not journalism. This is not the kind of this is not quality entertainment. Quality entertainment is a tight radio-like show." And so, all of those people that you listed as good podcasters, well, they're not. Because they're not tight. They're not radio. And a lot of people responded, um, not so politely either, about how, well, he was just plugging his own stuff, or not everyone wants to be so stuffy-shirted, or not everyone wants to have a show that's so strict, or so rehearsed, or so dry, that it's like listening to network television, or what you're listening to the radio. They want to have this casual, conversational stuff, kind of like what I do here with you, where it's just me gabbing about my week, kind of like an audio blog. And he didn't seem to get that. He was very much tied to the, but this is what it, people should want. This is what peop, our people do want. And a lot of us other podcasters said, yeah, but our people want what we do. They want it to be casual. And, and I think it's an interesting statement on journalism as to where we're going. Because pretty much if you have an opinion and bandwidth, you can get it out there to people. It's not just those people who have access to transmitting devices and FCC licenses and all that other stuff. I mean, even this little show here we're doing on Podbean is, you know, it doesn't cost me a lot to set up, but it's there for you to listen to if you want to. And you can listen to it in the car. If you have it on an iPod, you can bring it to a CD. You know, it's an option available to you if you want to take it. And I kind of have to wonder if all of this stuff we're doing now with what they're calling the Web 2.0 isn't really the future of things like news in the future of journalism. And at what point do we continue to eliminate some of the structures and and create more and more opportunities to share opinions with each other and find like-minded individuals? To find people who, you know, who we can talk to about things where we have a common interest. Uh, You know, not so common that there's no interest in listening to the other person talk or, or talking with them. You know, disagreement is what makes for an interesting conversation. But just enough to make it entertaining because it's someone we can relate to. And I really do hope that if you've been listening to the last couple of shows here and that you, you keep me on your subscriptions, that I do manage to keep talking about stuff that you find interesting, that I find interesting, and that maybe we don't always agree, but we disagree enough, or not so much that you, you aren't turned off to it. So it just seems like it, kind of an interesting twist on it. It kind of seemed a bit germane to the fact that you're even listening to this podcast. I have one other thing on this week I, I have to share to kind of round things out, and that's we're planning a trip to Cedar Point in my class um, with my physics group. And I don't know what's happened, but I've got a group of juniors. We have 84 seats on two buses. 88 seats, I'm sorry, on two buses. We have a total of 160 kids eligible to go on this trip because they're taking physics this year. We cannot fill the two buses. I don't know what's going on. But it just seems like the need to take, the need to go, the fun of going to an amusement park is lost on this generation of kids. Because we're really working to get kids to get the money and to reserve their seats. And it's looking like we're going to cancel one of the buses. And I just don't know what's happened, that that magic is gone. 
but we'll see. Anyway, um, I, I think I see uh, my waitress coming back with my coffee. I'm going to actually have her toss it in a to-go cup and take it with me. I really do need to get home. St. Patrick's Day is tomorrow, and I'm going out with uh, my wife tonight to celebrate. We're going to go see one of our favorite Irish bands, Blackthorn, play uh, at uh, local place. So I got. I really do have to get going. But thanks for coming back and listening and enjoying a pint with me here. Uh, drive careful. Make sure you tip the girls well and the guys as well. And uh, drive safe. If you have any comments you want to leave, you can find the show at fnp.podbean.com. Friday Night Pints, so FNP. Or drop me an email at fnpteacher.com at yahoo.com I'd love to hear from you guys if you just want to say hey I'm listening to the show I I think you have some neat stuff to say it's kind of fun or if you want to drop me an email and say where do you get off making those kinds of comments they say any feedback is good feedback so it'd just be nice to know if there's an audience out there Um, either way I'll be back see you guys next Friday we'll have another round we'll talk about the weekend teaching the weekend teaching news and yeah who knows what the next week will bring well, until then, guys, Aaron Gobra, have a happy St. Patrick's Day, and uh, we'll see you in a week. Come along, come along, you jolly brave boys, there's lots of grog in your jar. We'll plow the briny ocean with the jolly rolling tar.